Well, for our listeners, this is a large barn. It's about looks about two x the size of like a state fair animal barn. Um, so you got a lot of goats here. We have about a, a thousand on site. Okay. Join us for a cheese tasting at Leclerc Family Creamery. Just maybe not the type of cheese you'd first expect from a Wisconsin farm. And that is probably the biggest growth right now for us is the chefs. Okay. And then uh, kind of a comical thing, if you look on the package, it says goat cheese because today's consumer knows that as goat cheese. They right. don't know it as chef. This one's our Avalon, and this is the one that won that U.S. Cheese Championship. Okay. And uh, what's beautiful about this cheese is it has a, a, it's a Gouda style with an Asiago finish. And so what you're going to find is that it's going to um, have a, like its flavor profile. You get one flavor, then another, and another. Yeah. And my daughter likes to call it a three-block cheese. Leclerc is actually a goat farm and a creamery founded and operated by Larry and Clara Hedrick. Lesson here, should we say? Uh, when my husband and I met in 1977, one of the things we talked about was what can we do for our children that be most beneficial? And we felt if we could teach them how to work, that would be the best gift that we could give them for the rest of their lives. And so with that being said, uh, we purchased a little farm just outside of Chilton. What started as a hobby and a valuable life lesson for their children has grown into a successful family business. Over the years, the business at LeClaire Family Creamery has grown thanks to the contributions of each member of Clara and Larry's family. And then our daughter uh, was the uh, original cheese maker. And when she was in high school, uh, her entrepreneurial ship, uh, she was in FFA and she made goat milk soap. And okay. that's kind of where she got her marketing thought process. This is the Right Idea Podcast. Welcome to Season 3 of the Right Idea Podcast. I'm Kevin Nicholson, Volunteer President and CEO of No Better Friend Corp. In this season, we're highlighting the creativity and the work ethic behind the businesses that make Wisconsin's economy go round. In today's episode with Clara, Larry, and their creamery manager, Jesse Shoes, we dive into the importance of fostering a sense of family in a successful business, the regulatory challenges the goat industry faces with trade, and how TikTok made their goat feta cheese famous. This is the Right Idea Podcast. All right, everybody. Well, welcome to the Right Idea Podcast. We are at uh, LeClaire Farms here today, and we're with uh, Larry and Clara Hedrick, as well as Jesse Schuess, the retail manager. So I'm here with the owners and the retail managers of LeClaire Farms, and we're thrilled to be here. And I want to start by saying we just had some milk. It was not cow's milk. It was, in fact, goat's milk. Tell us about, you, you, you've given us a bit of a history of the farm. What was the draw to goat's milk that brought us here today? We started with the goats when we purchased the farm and I hail with a dairy cow background. I was grew up in the northern part of the state. We had a dairy cow farm uh, and I love agriculture because I was a high school agriculture teacher. Right. And then uh, when Larry and I met, Larry's background, this is his grandfather's farm and on this farm they raised beef, sheep, hogs and mink okay and so when we got married his words were I wasn't doing cows <laughs> <laughs> and <Fair enough. laughs> the two goats came with the farm and uh, Built in. <laughs> we just uh, we both really enjoyed the goats gotcha. and so on our honeymoon uh, where most folks would go 
tour other things, we actually toured some goat farms. Okay. Uh, and so we have always been interested in the goat world. Uh, we're always uh, looking for, uh, you know, what's happening. And that was one of the things when we were touring, uh, as I mentioned earlier, with our family. Uh, what we learned on those uh, family vacations and tours throughout the United States was, mm -hmm. hey, you folks in Wisconsin have it all. You have the Center for Dairy Research, right? Uh, right, uh, and that's one of the challenges in the goat world is they don't necessarily come and um, have answers for you. Like in the cow world, you can go to your veterinarian, you can go to your um, cow farmer down the road, and you're able to talk things through, and you've got an answer. In the goat world, it's like, yeah, if it was cows, this is what it could be. So right. you were always having to learn yourself, and you always had to be your best advocate. Right. Uh, and if you understand, Wisconsin is um, has that wonderful cow infrastructure, so it's very easy to piggyback the goat world upon it. Right. Uh, and so uh, that's pretty much what we did. And then one of the things that you should understand is Wisconsin leads the nation in the number of milk goats. Uh, we have 82,000 here in the state. Now, okay. if you're in the cow world, you go, well, that's like two cow farms put together. Right. <laughs> uh, in the goat world, that is huge because right. the next state that's close to us is California at about 43,000. Uh, and then we have Iowa and we have Minnesota with, uh, you know, like 20 and 17 or 14. Okay. Uh, and then Tennessee following with about 7,000. So you don't really have... You know anybody that's even close to us in the number right. of milk goats and as you are sitting right here at our Leclerc family creamery mm -hmm. uh, what you are actually is in the Mecca of the dairy goat world of the United States and the reason I say that is in this very small Calumet County Fond du Lac County uh, you have uh, obviously on site here we have about a thousand yearlings mm -hmm. uh, Chilton dairy uh, just up the road uh, and Drumlin dairy just uh, we can look right over uh, between the two of them, I would say, what, about 20,000 head? Well, they're licensed for 20. They're not at that point yet. Okay, that's what But uh, they're milking probably about 12,000 between the two at this point. Okay. And then, needless to say, we have a kid-raising facility that we're going to run about 2,300 on, and then you have... Uh, other, uh, as we mentioned, other family farms in mm -hmm. the area. So in this very small area, we have a very high concentration of dairy goats. Well, especially if you're talking about California having about 50% the size and a lot more acreage in California when it's all spread out. So per capita, we're, we're really leading the way. With the, or per acre, we're leading the way here in Wisconsin by far. And the cool part is the goats fit so well in the Wisconsin dairy industry because the feed mill doesn't care what type of animal is eating the product yeah, they're right. selling. Right. So whether they're selling it to a cow or a goat, doesn't matter. Same thing for a dairy supplier. They don't care if they're selling it to a cow farm or a goat farm. Right. So when Clara says that we have so much infrastructure, we really do because everything that supports the cow world, much of it fits, fits. to be something we need also. You right. know, it's very exciting what we have seen in the past few years is uh, the industry has really come up to speed to goats. Uh, you know, the veterinarians that we work with are very well versed in the goat world. Mm -hmm. uh, your feed specialists, uh, you know, they know how to balance for the for the goat. Uh, and if you just are out and about and start looking around, uh, it, the goat is there. Absolutely. So you've got the infrastructure here, but you still had to make your own way. And you talked about that throughout the tour. That it's it's in more than one respect, right? Like regulatory dealing with those kind of issues, but also just breaking down barriers with consumers because it was mentioned uh, I know on the tour that yes the rest of the world both consumes goat meat also drinks goat milk doesn't think two things about it 
but in the United States, we're just not acclimated to it. We've got a lot of uh, dairy cattle in, in available to us, and it's what we've become used to. And with food product, you got to actually, you know, break norms and get people to start thinking about a new uh, consumption. I know you said when you got people in line here at the creamery uh, to see the dairy or to see, see the baby goats, you like to introduce the milk to them then. And I, like I said, start this off by saying I just had it. It's whole milk for sure, so it's rich, just like a cow's whole milk would be, but it tastes clean, tastes just like uh, cow's milk in so many different ways. We had a customer yesterday, and it's so great because one of the jobs that I get to do is to do the cheese experience. Okay. And so when people come in, um, we get to talk about our cheeses. We always want people to walk out with a sample of cheese. Mm -hmm. And so I had to pull a Clara yesterday <laughs> because he just could not believe how good the cheese was. He okay. could not believe that it was goat cheese. Right. And so then I said, have you ever had goat's milk? Well, no, I've never had it. <laughs> so I brought out the goat's milk and it was like fireworks went off. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's really neat. <laughs> that um, you know we really want to you know um, make sure that we're offering the cheese experience but mm -hmm. it's also really neat that we get to see that experience with our customers right. and it's just it's it's a blessing it really is and one of the things I should just add is what we see coming in uh, folks are uh, very interested in our product and we feel that goes back to the fact that people are well obviously prior to COVID very well traveled I mm -hmm. uh, have had those experiences and so they're looking for those same experiences here and since COVID and prior to uh, folks spend a lot of time watching cooking shows right. and on their cooking shows they see the goat cheese being utilized right. and so as a result uh, we see a lot of uh, interest yeah I'm in, sure well uh, if you're watching the cooking show you Google and then if you're in the Midwest, you're going to pop up and it's a good family trip because as we went over in the tour, you've got facilities outside for people to bring kids and opportunities to interact with the animals, but also potting classes as well, too. And goat yoga, which until an hour ago, I didn't know existed. Now I do. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not your target market, admittedly, because I don't do yoga. But um, there is such a thing as goat yoga, which, as you explained to me, you do yoga and there's baby goats physically present at the same time. Is that fair? Correct. Summation? Okay. And um, I will leave that to the people that know goat yoga to, to find you and know that they can do it here. One of the things I wanted to talk about that uh, came up during our conversation is, it, well, trade issues and how they affect Wisconsin agriculture. I've had this conversation with a number of farmers throughout our state, and I think, you know, over the last however many years of politics and um, uh, you see the two parties jostling as to what they think the issues are with uh, agriculture in our state and, frankly, with the United States in general. And one of the cases that I've tried to consistently make is, look, farmers and those involved in agribusiness in general are business people. These are complex businesses. They have huge upfront fixed costs, tons of weather risk. There's a lot going on in agriculture and production. And then they have trade issues in addition to this. And you have markets that have been heavily impacted by regulatory issues that, of course, affects dairy in so many different ways. And you have other countries who have the ability to subsidize production in their own markets, block American producers from being able to sell into their markets, and still, crazily enough, be able to sell their products into our market. And I think, you know, I know that's not the case with every single agriculture product, but it's, it is the case with many, and it certainly affects dairy, and it has affected our state's economy uh, in a huge way. It's one of the reasons I find so many farmers are really frustrated with trade issues. You had alluded to the fact that European producers of goat milk, if I'm correct, can basically take uh, as a curd and then basically dump it over here. 
talk to me a bit about that and how that affects yeah your basically with the the goat curd it's much different from the cow in the structure of it mm -hmm. so they can freeze the curd straight out of the vat producers overseas overseas okay. yep. they'll load it up into one of these big shipping containers so they've got 40 50 thousand pounds whatever fits in there right and they'll ship that in here and then many of the largest cheese plants will use that and blend in a little bit of the american product with it mm -hmm. um, and then that allows them to hold the price down on what they have to pay for our American milk because the European curd is so much cheaper that they get it here and I've yet to be able to find anybody that can actually tell me truthfully how much curd comes in, mm -hmm. where it goes, all this. It's buried because the goat industry is so small mm -hmm. in comparison to cow dairy, nobody really pays any attention to it. So unless you're directly involved in goats, nobody cares right well and i would think so yes the size and scale is part of it but also too if they're holding american companies as well that probably makes it harder to track as well because it's not absolutely trade it's yep. transfer within a company right yep and yeah. and once they transform it from curd into cheese uh -huh. they can use an american label because it's called made in america then so Got it, it. it we don't have the tracing today at least hopefully that'll come right that says you got to be able to take it back to the plant whereas we got to trace all of our product right back to the farm it came from so it's a little bit kind that's of that's kind of crazy <laughs> that's yeah. kind of well this is one of the reasons we do this podcast right is to dig into how the businesses work right like what are the impediments that you see some of which are market oriented some of which are regulatory i think a lot of our conversation we were at a distiller central standard distillery in, distillery in milwaukee last week and Boy, some of the regulatory challenges around alcohol production are crazy. And the different um, impediments that are in place just allow businesses to organically grow and then compete the way that they should be able to. I think this is when you see an American producer uh, in the dairy industry having to you know, meet certain regulatory requirements and hurdles and producers overseas not, and still being able to sell into our market, that's the thing we want to call attention to and say, like, how did this happen? Like, why are we allowing this? And why aren't our... Uh, you know, leaders fighting this and like making it right so that people just have the chance to compete the way they should. Right. Our so. consumers don't even know right. in many, many, many cases that they're eating a foreign product. They think it's all American made because all they can see really is the label on it. The American label, right. And so they don't even have a clue. Yeah. Well, this is the kind of thing we're trying to expose. What else in terms of as you look you look at your industry, right, which is not just dairy, it's goat uh, in particular. What um, what are some of the other challenges you see out there, things that you think a change or uh, something being uh, treated better would actually open up your, your business for more growth in the future? Well, one of the challenges we have is I always feel that we are, call it, uh, consumer focused mm -hmm. so therefore the humane treatment of animals and all of that are things that we do anyhow as farmers right but yet now we just had to i mean we have so many different licenses that we have to get um it drives me kind of off the deep end like because i take in goats from other farms and then sell them off into the meat market i'm technically an animal dealer okay. so then i'm in 
inspected for all of that on one of our other businesses where we're just raising the goats. Um, so it's it's a challenge of all the different levels, and you don't even know necessarily what the rules are until you get talking to somebody and go, they ask, well, do you have this? It's like, no, what's that? Right. Okay, it's another rule that right. you have to follow um, because the way that rules and laws are developed is essentially they build on each other right. based on a lot of times just one very small happening somewhere so they make a law but they don't realize how many people that affects yeah yeah and the downstream effects of it right they can shape an industry and all of a sudden an industry grows a certain way because regulation is put in place and they've adapted to it but maybe it wasn't the most efficient way to do it in the first place right yep um and I guess one other thing that we've seen in the meat side of the business, um, they're able to bring in uh, frozen carcasses and then process them much cheaper than what they can purchase. And this is coming out of, out of Australia, much okay. cheaper than what they can do is buying the meat across a state line. And when you stop thinking about that, That's you're going, crazy. there's a lot of transportation involved and there's, so it's another. Well, the interstate shipping laws become prohibitive um, because many of our facilities were built many years ago right so in the technical aspect of the law they can't meet that because they don't have whatever type of flow or whatever it is right now by a HACCP plan that a facility puts together they still could do food safe uh -huh. but because they can't pass that inspection they can't make a product here in Wisconsin and sell it in Minnesota, which that should be a market of ours. Right. Chicago should be a market of ours, but only if you spend enough money to upgrade your facility to meet all the new regulations that are involved in it. Literally so, in the other the other state, you're saying like Minnesota's state regulation, or you're saying these are this federal The federal, we can't cross the line. Can't we cross can, the line. We can meet all the regulatory in Wisconsin, okay. which is as restrictive as anything federally sure but now you've got to get a whole nother level on the meat side of things okay in order to have meat processed in wisconsin cross over into minnesota or illinois or any other state so there's a it, it's that layering effect right of all the different regulations and that's one of the things that our small meat plants ran into um you know they're their scale, they're, they're basically locked into their localized area uh -huh. unless they've got a new enough facility that they were able to upgrade to meet the interstate rules. Okay. But meanwhile, and just to restate this because I'm literally shocked, people are, or excuse me, producers in Australia are shipping in frozen carcasses and able to do that legally uh, and, and sell for cheaper. Yes, absolutely. If you go up to Minneapolis, they're bringing them in in containers, you know, swinging carcasses basically, and they can uh, they can do it cheaper than I can take it. I'm only 200 miles away. That's truly insane. I mean, I, that's that is such an overt, crazy distortion of a market to make that happen. Um, that this is, I mean, again, this is what. I find it be maddening when I hear, again, so many politicians uh, talking about, you know, farmers, farmers are, I mean, look, the, I feel terrible for those in, in agribusiness that are going through difficult times, but I find like the goal of so many policymakers is just feel sympathetic. 
feel you know, we should all feel bad. It's it's too bad. But here's an here's a something that needs to get fixed that could literally allow you to sell more product, and that is the key to making just like any business. Can you sell more product? Can you grow? And how do we open up more markets? And and the farmers typically are not wanting any subsidy, call it from the federal or state level, so that they can not have a cost involved here, we'll just give you some money? Sure. No, they just want to be able to compete on a free market system and be able to survive that way. They're not looking for a government subsidy to make it work. Right. Yeah, and, and, and this is just based to businesses. Can you get markets to open, and then can you allow people, to your point, to compete? And um, now that's that's the next level. Like, how do you market goat meat to a population that may have consumed it before, maybe hasn't? But that's a business challenge. That's a reasonable one to have. Um, our case here is that, like, if if you are literally in a situation where a frozen goat carcass can leave Sydney, Australia, wind up in Minneapolis, and be sold cheaper uh, than it can from Wisconsin, a couple hundred miles away, that's a problem. That's a regulatory issue that needs to be addressed. So. Yes. Wow, that's shocking. Um, but that's again, that's why we do these conversations. We want to bring this to people's attention. What? I, so we're talking about products, um, and it, I ask this when we go to food producers. But I know it might be a little bit by like uh, picking your favorite child. But what is your favorite product that you like to? You're going to bring someone into the world of goat. What I'll typically go. I like to age cheese. Okay. So I'm going to typically give a taste of the Avalon which is an aged cheese that can compete, and we know that worldwide right. um, with that type of product. But if you've got somebody that's looking to make, you know, um, using cooking, you're not going to likely do that. Like you're going to use a chev on a salad or something like that. Right. So you got to kind of figure out what direction people are looking to go in. Right. If I want to make a sandwich, I'm likely going to take a cheddar or a jack. Right. So, right. you know, it's kind of looking at it um, as to what, you know, people are looking for, but for me, I like the mm -hmm. age goat cheese. Gotcha. And I'm going to, uh, I love the Avalon. I love the Cave Age Shandoka. Mm -hmm. I do the uh, wine and cheese pairings, beer pairings, the okay. whiskey pairings, uh, apple pairings. Uh, use your imagination. I'll pair it with it. You tell me what you <laughs> want it paired. Uh, we did a chocolate cheese uh, wine pairing, um, you know, and we're going to do, uh, we're going to add sausage into our whiskey pairing along with the cheese. And when I do the pairings, uh, one of the things that I always try to do is, you know, why did you come to Leclerc? Mm -hmm. Well, you want to taste the uh, award-winning cheeses right. uh, you know we've got world championship cheeses here so the Avalon or the cave age for sure are going to be in that mix uh, right. I will work very hard to make sure that that person gets to taste that but then again uh, if I am uh, focusing in on children uh, as some of our events do uh, I'm going to go to the um, you know like the Jack's or the uh, a cheddar or our, our mixed milk cheese the Shandoka because the many times their palate is not ready for some of the aged cheeses. Right. But with that being said, uh, some of our biggest fans of our aged cheeses are children. Okay. So it just <laughs> depends on what their experience has been. Right. And so then it really comes down to talking with the people and understanding them as to what's their, their favorites. And I guess, you know, like I said, I'm always going to go with the aged <laughs> cheeses because they're the most flavorful. And so we do a cheese experience. So like when you come in the door, the first thing I'm going to say to you, would you like to sample some cheeses? Right. And some folks are looking at me like, why are you talking to me? Uh, you know, you, you kind of get that look. And others are like, oh, they're running. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They're running. yeah. yeah. And others are, yeah, that's why I came. I want some. 
And so right. I, and then they'll usually look at our array of cheeses and they're gonna pick out one. And I said, oh, how about if we sample everything? And they kind of look at me like, oh, okay. <laughs> and then I'm always gonna start with the milder cheeses and then work through the, uh, the more aged cheeses. Sure. Uh, and it's really interesting because you can kind of tell if they're gonna be really excited about that aged cheese, if they have an experienced palate. Right. Or, uh, and some of them are like, oh my gosh, what should I pair this with? And by, by the time they leave, I've paired them with some wines. And okay. I, you, know, you keep, uh, you know, obviously you just keep working with your customer. Right. But uh, again, training them and teaching them about your cheeses and some folks really hadn't really given it any thought about the pairing concept right. uh, because it's like a good marriage you mix the right two together <laughs> and it's a beautiful marriage and then you can put the wrong two together and oh my dear uh, you just don't want that sampling happening <laughs> Jesse what in terms of favorite products wow it's always a hard for me to answer that question um, I guess I would probably say the Evalon, um, just because to me it's got that, I love Asiago, so yeah. it's got that kind of nuttiness at the end. And I always say, if I'm having a bad day, mm -hmm. um, I always bring home a block of Evalon and a bottle of wine. It's just <laughs> that marriage Get goes very well. But I would say, secondly, I'm in love with the chefs okay. um, because they're so versatile. Um, you know, I think we have about 16 varieties of different kinds of chev, and they range anywhere from sweet to savory. Okay. Um, and I love, I actually love every single one of them, but they're so great to put on a charcuterie board. Um, they're great to put on a sandwich. They're great to put on a salad. Um, and so there's just so much that you can do with it. Um, we have an appetizer that we use our maple bourbon chev. Okay. It goes on a piece of um, toasted French bread, and then it's topped with bacon, and then it's uh, drizzled with honey. Okay. And then, uh, you know, it's so great too when customers come in because they already have their own concoctions that mm -hmm. they're going to use the chef for. So we had a group of guys, it was last year, they were camping, and they looked a little rough. They had been camping probably for more than one day. Okay. And they came in every day to buy Chev. And just the stuff they were putting, I mean, they put it on hot dogs, on yeah. burgers. And <laughs> it's just, it's a lot of fun. Cool. That's pretty good. And goat meat, well, we, I mentioned this when we did the tour before. I, I worked on a cattle ranch probably like 20 years ago. And I thought as I went out there, I was going to eat steak every night. That was going to be, you know, that would be the norm. <laughs> And as I got there, we only ate goat for the most part. We had um, we had beef every now and then, but it was probably 80% of the time we ate goat because my boss raised his own goats. And uh, what I found was you can prepare it pretty much however you prepare it. And it, it, it blends in many ways, like it can taste a bit like beef, you mentioned before, a bit like pork, depending on what is prepared. Um, how do you find consumer reaction to goat meat as they're introduced to it for the first time? Well, I have to chuckle because Larry was downtown pipe, and you did catch that humor in there because downtown pipe uh, is about like one more step down and um, down the road, and so it's a very small town if you haven't been in pipe. And he's in the gas station, and this average person, whatever that meant, uh, probably age 30-ish, do you sell goat meat in your store? And he's like, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, we do. So, I mean, if you're standing at the door and looking at the consumer walking in, you're not going to go, that one is going to buy goat meat. Yeah. That one will never buy goat meat. Uh, it's really the consumer that is very health conscious okay. because the meat itself is very lean, much like venison. So, yeah. like, when you fry up the the ground meat, you're going to have maybe like a tablespoon left over. Okay. Uh, and then flavor profile is phenomenal. And then uh, if you go to the USDA um, website where they compare all your different meats, and I always like to send people to a scientific-based website, uh, and you can, are comparing your meats, you're going to find that your goat meat is actually better for you than chicken. Okay. Uh, and so it's a very health-hearty uh, uh, meat, uh, very... Uh, you know, and as I mentioned, you know, 70% of our world's population eats goat meat and drinks goat milk. Right. No, yeah, and I know uh, Daryl from my team as well has been deployed to Iraq, and we've been in Iraq and Afghanistan, and it's it's very much the norm, right? That it, the populations over there are, uh, I don't know if it's what they primarily consume in terms of meat, but they consume a lot of goat um, because goats are, I mean, they're just smaller animals. They literally need less room. They need less feed, and so they're easier to work with in so many ways. So. And they can forage for themselves easier and live right. on less than, you know, than the cattle world. Right. Um, and a big part I see is people in Wisconsin, not that many have had goat. But if you tell them, well, have you had venison? Everybody looks at you like, well, yeah, I'm from Wisconsin. <laughs> um, the meat is very similar where the, the fat is not marbled in like it is with beef. It's on the outside of the muscle. Okay. And so... People understand venison well, then it's very easy to adapt any of those recipes to a goat. To a goat. Gotcha. Talk to me, uh, slightly different question here. So, you've had a lot of growth. We talked about growth in goats, and then quite some growth in revenue, but you've also had to grow your team. Um, and how many, how many people do you have working collectively uh, at this point, you think, in the, in the shop? Well, with the shop and everything, we're probably. I always used to use some. the magic number 50, but okay. I think we're well over yeah. 50. Yeah, it, we just, it just had a hiring so spree. Much. Okay. So. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes. I'm That's a good sign. Yeah. probably over 60, closer to 70, would yeah. my guess. I was going to say, we, we probably did within this in the last couple of days 15 new hires. So yeah. okay. I would yeah. suggest probably up to 60, 65. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that's very diverse functions, right? Because you're all the way from retail mm -hmm. to agri production to dairy. Product, or uh, cheese production, which is obviously basically science experiments, like knowing exactly what you're supposed to do. How are you finding uh, the labor market and availability of the talent that you need? How is that going? Well, honestly, <laughs> uh, <laughs> everybody looks at me. <laughs> I would say it has been somewhat of a challenge. Okay. And um, I think there's a lot of socioeconomic reasons why. Um, but also, you have to understand, at LeClaire's, we're not just going to hire a breathing body. You know, we are very passionate about what we do. Mm -hmm. And so really wanting to bring someone in, you know, they have to be passionate as well. Well, and yeah, so a lot of moving parts. And you've got multi-different aspects of your business. And as I walked around, that was one of the things I thought of is that... Um, because we're talking to all the different businesses in this season about, you know, there's the challenges with the labor market, what they see that's good, what they're worried about, where the frustrations are. But you really do have to have people bought into the standards that you're achieving here because, like, quite literally, it's an issue of safety. Then it's a regulatory issue, safety first. But, yes, the regulations also tell you to do the same. And that's buy-in and that's commitment. To your point, that's not just retail. That's, you know, much more serious in, in different ways. 
but you got the retail aspect as well, and you're also facing customers, and that's a lot. Um, and we're not, um, Malone's not in the, the most like populous part of the state either. Uh, we're not too far from Fond du Lac, but like we, uh, you have to staff a relatively large facility um, with people that are super dedicated and bought in, and you're not sitting in a giant population center. So it's gotta be a challenge to continually staff and to find the right people. So that, that said, it's a good problem to have because it means you're growing. So. <laughs> well, and I think one of the huge advantages we have, there's a great worth, work ethic in this part of the state, northeast right. Wisconsin. Um, and that really is an advantage that we have to being based here. Right. Um, there's just plain a lot of great people that do want to work and earn their pay. Right. And they look at it as a challenge to do it right every day. Right. And so it's offering that opportunity um, that people can do it. And I think that's what makes it work. Right. And one of the things is the company itself is invested in the person. So they want to hear what are your challenges at your first day on the job, the second day on the job. Right. Uh, really so that that person can grow with the job and you know, we want to retain them. Right. Kind of thing. One of the questions, and I don't, I don't know your hiring funnel specifically, but one of the questions I've been asking many business owners is that as you look at uh, potential employees or candidates that are coming out of K through 12 education or coming out of even higher education in our state, are you seeing gaps? Are you seeing people coming out pretty well prepared uh, with the education they're receiving as they walk into your facility, or how do you think about that? Are there ways that you think we could partner with educational institutions and we could have even better prepared people coming out? Uh, my comeback, being a high school teacher for 39 years, uh, is uh, the student that I look at, and I love, I love being here at LeClaire because my former students come in, and of course uh, yours yeah. truly can't <laughs> recognize them because you know I have not changed, right. but they might have, right. uh, and it's basically, uh, are they willing to learn? Are they versatile? Uh, and that was one of the things with the AG program. We were always hands-on, uh, always you know problem solving. And, yes, yeah, right. And right. you know, and, and to me, that is the key uh, to education: uh, is just getting that person that's willing to and communication, Learn. communication, communication. And I think that's probably our biggest challenge right now, mm -hmm. is because everybody has that wonderful thing called the cell phone yeah. and the computer, <laughs> and we're more happy to uh, communicate that way. Right. Uh, when I'm doing a tour, when I'm working with people, I'm reading those people. Yeah. And uh, you know, they're telling me things that they don't realize that they're telling yeah. me. And that gives me the leg up because I was of the era when you Look Pay face attention. to face. Yes, and and it, to me that is probably your biggest challenge right there with anybody that you're bringing in. Are they willing to learn? Are they willing to problem solve? Right. Are they willing to uh, communicate? Right. How good of a communicator are they? Absolutely. No, there's there's no two ways, and that cuts across all industries and everything. So you were going to say something that cut you off. Um, no, I mean I was just gonna say I mean in, in retail it's a little bit different mm -hmm. um, and so we're, we're hiring anyone from 14 to you know really 70 right. we have people coming in so we don't really see a lot of gaps it's really all ages of uh, folks that come in 
and you know you'll have um, our younger ones it's their first customer experience position but we you know we have a lot of luck with our younger ones because okay. you know because we're the first they're learning from us right away right so that's great um, we definitely have a lot of uh, teachable moments <laughs> um, and then we have you know our, our folks that are in their 20s 30s 40s 50s and up and you know they they tend to get the customer service piece a little bit more sure. but I would agree with Clara just the the communication and with the phone and yeah and those kinds of issues um, you know folks are really attached to it and yes it was and it's yeah it, it is I'm gonna sound like a crotchety old man here I guess but I mean it is a concern that especially kids that are adopting it very young right and it's the only form of you know that type of communication that they're gonna know and the combination of the distraction that it that it actually takes away from what you're supposed to be doing in the moment but also too um, you learn to communicate that way instead of to your point face to face getting things across clearly um, texting is fascinating but it tends to have some gaps in it uh, in any way shape or form so it's something, it's something to know, and it's something, um, certainly right now, we're making the case in No Better Friend that kids, at the very least, need to be back into physical schools as soon as humanly possible because you take everything we just said, put it on steroids, right? Because now they've been, you know, digitally, if they're communicating at all, they're digitally communicating with classmates and teachers, which I think has only exacerbated the problem. But, but we're not going to solve that today, for better or worse. <laughs> but that does bring us to... The topic of COVID, and while I don't want it to be the focus of every one of our conversations, we have asked all the businesses we've seen, you know, what are the effects? Obviously, different industries have boomed because of COVID. Others have massively been hit hard. What have you seen the effects of, of the last however many months uh, been on your business? And we've seen both ends of the spectrum back in May, June sales just fell apart um you know we're like we've got all this goat milk coming in but yeah. what do we make it into because yeah. we have to be cautious that our inventory matches what our orders are but people weren't ordering at the time because food service had shut down yeah and retail had not yet people had not adjusted to that stay-at-home mentality and so they weren't buying as many products from the retail establishment and so sales just tanked and then people adjusted their buying habits and goat products have taken off very well okay. um, whether it's the chev instead of sending it out the door in a food service maybe a five pound package or something like that now it's a four ounce to put on your your table at mm -hmm. home and so adjusting the packaging had to happen. Um, we've always made the smaller sizes um, for retail, but it took off, you know, where there was so much more of it. And then the hard cheeses, people adjusted to buying more of that. And our, our hard right. cheeses have taken off, whether it's the, the cheddar, the jack, uh, you know, all of that. So it, it's been all over the place and you just don't know uh, all, prediction has gone away yeah because right, right. you can't look at history because it doesn't make any which sense. month you want to talk about so it, right, it's right, really yeah. a tough environment for a business to figure out where you're going you've got to go so much on short term we've got to do what we need to do today but yet plan for what we think we need to do six months and a year from now right and apparently there was a little uh, blurb on TikTok on our <laughs> yes. goat feta. 
and that oh, uh, and when he, okay yeah and, and that basically wiped out our inventory <laughs> yes, it and did. then uh, just had to really yeah the, you know and then you quickly have and because you have to cater to what your orders are right well if all of a sudden your orders of feta go crazy <laughs> well you didn't make that much feta so you now you got to make the cheese yeah get it packaged and get it available for the consumers so right you can have these quick changes in the purchasing environment that you just don't know why or what right. and i'm sure just like why does everybody want this <laughs> you know i did and yeah. then um it was a, a mother came in with her daughters and they were um just uh taking a little tour they're from madison and i think she wiped us out of all of our feta okay yeah and she was telling me about this TikTok thing and i wasn't even aware of it and then i saw it and i was like wow does that look really good <laughs> so it was just someone like a influencer so, or what just, yeah so what it okay. was it was a recipe okay um and what they did is they took um the feta and um cherry tomatoes olive oil I think maybe garlic, maybe some balsamic. But what they did is they um, put it in the oven, and then so everything got really creamy, and then yeah. added noodles. Okay. And so it was like this creamy pasta dish. Hmm. Our products are sold in the grocery store. So, right. you know, when you're in the grocery store, it's like, oh, I need to pick up some feta. And then you right. see Leclerc Family Farms. It's like, oh, give this it. a try. Right. So we saw an influx in the grocery stores as well. Got it. Okay. Fascinating. Yeah. So that's a lot of variability to deal with in so many different ways. And I mean, it's it's been... You know, as we've had these conversations, right, like restaurants, bars hit extremely hard, needless to say, because people physically are not allowed to go there or they have to be dispersed in a certain way. Um, we've seen manufacturers that have been hit hard in industries you probably wouldn't have expected, like, for example, uh, team industries and in, in literally pipe, um, which is simply there's, there's certain types of construction that aren't taking place right now. Um, and then uh, we've seen distilleries where demand is popped because people are Looking to drink, <laughs> in some respects. And and when you mention the distilleries, so many of them, when they saw something change and whatever, well, they started making some of the uh, hand sanitizers. Yes. Well, yep. Yep. Clara couldn't buy bottles to put her lotion in and didn't know why, and then yeah. understood, oh, because the people in the distilleries bought all those bottles to put... Hand their hand sanitizer and literally so it just changes <laughs> so much and you don't yeah. know why well and that's it i think that's that's been yes the scale in the kind in the command and control way that the decisions have been made when you when you you don't we don't normally see this we don't live in a command and control economy it shouldn't be that way that's why we're americans um but when you see these judgments come down all of a sudden hundreds of millions of uh, people are affected and bam Industries are wiped out, real estate prices skyrocket unexpectedly, and you are wondering what you're supposed to be producing for whom. Who's going to want to buy something next month? Who's going to be able to buy something next month? And suddenly cars are scarce because people can buy cars. It's the strangest thing, and I think there's, if people are, you hope policymakers are paying attention and are watching and realizing, look, there's a lot of danger in this. And Yes, we should all take our public health very seriously. We should take COVID seriously, take reasonable precautions, but realize that uncertainty, that injecting that to businesses can lead to people not being hired, can lead to lack of wealth creation, and we're not going to make that up with government subsidies. That's the issue that we're worried about. Well, and I think we're going to see it in a lot of the different facilities that as there are people that had been there for years, 
if they were on the wrong side of the consumer trend, yeah. they ended up sending people home. People are not going to sit home if they, you know, if they're forced to just because their particular job evaporated right. or they're put on indefinite leave. They don't know. They're going to be looking around. Well, once they took another job and find out they like it, that place that spent all those dollars training and had these great people, they're not coming back. Yeah. So it's creating a whole different environment for businesses. Of Now you have to find people that before you weren't looking, you had great employees. Yeah. Well, I think another sure. piece of it, too, was, you know, um, the unemployment rate was so high yeah. during that time that you had a lot of folks that were making, you know, more money um, on unemployment than they were at their job. And so I know a lot of businesses struggled. It's like, you know, hey, we want you to come back, mm -hmm. but they actually made more money on unemployment. So I know that was a struggle for a lot of businesses as well. I can't tell you, it's been very consistent throughout all the all the different industries that we're talking to. Exact same point comes up that, look, the incentives that were given to people actually stopped them from coming back to jobs where they'd be creating value and, um, and frankly, just moving forward with their life in a much better, much more mentally healthy uh, situation too, doing productive things and leading your life. There's no doubt, and there's some amount of that obviously still occurring, um, and uh, this is not done sorting out. Uh, Unfortunately, so I can understand the frustration. What as you look out um, to the next steps, whether you know COVID-related or whether just like growing the the kind of the, the goat product market, what are some of the challenges that you see that um, that you know you're going to have to tackle? Well, to counter that, um, you know what I've seen so far, and Claire, you probably know a little bit more, is you know we've been able to pivot and to really do well mm -hmm. um, during this time um, and with a lot of creative thinking. And, you know, like one of the things that uh, they just started doing was um, you, you get these meal kits. Well, now we have our chef in these little meal kits. So as the meal kit industry is growing, you know, we're a part of that. And right. I think that's the one thing with LeClaire Farms is that they're always being innovative no matter what it is. They do not stay the same. And so I think, you know, I, I'm somewhat new here, but from what I've seen, it's just constant innovation. Right. Which, as we're saying, in an unstable and variable environment is a good thing. <laughs> well, and I think that's really the key to anything that you do is, um, you know, as soon as you think, uh, I've got it, uh, it's really, so you're, you're behind. Right. And so you always have to be looking at, how can I do this better? That's one of the things we, you know, the retail side we're always trying to bring consumers in mm -hmm. uh, you know we evaluate each event you know what went well what do we want to change you know what right. worked last year isn't necessarily going to work this year mm -hmm. so we're always you know doing marketing 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 you know what's going to be best and then if you look at uh, like your milk supply your cheese industry um, you know the cheese that you made last year that was gangbusters might right. be sitting on the back shelf this year because there's a new uh, direction that we're headed because Feta took right. off. Because yeah. yeah. was on TikTok and yeah. suddenly yeah. is the thing to do. And I mean, that's really the the bottom line key is right. what are your opportunities? You're always looking for opportunities, and how can we make those things happen? Right. And I think that's been you know the bottom line for us. Yeah, and it, it the environment changes all the time on right. what people are looking for. They're probably only going to spend 
a certain amount of their dollars on cheese and why our cheese and whatnot. So we're trying to offer them a reason right. as to what we do and how we do it to, to attract them to look at it because, you know, we've only got that split second when they come yeah. in the store. Um, right. And it's not, I mean, we get a very, very small segment of our population buying our products that actually come here. So it's what does our packaging look like, um, all those types of things, because right. we've got cheese out there on a national scale. Right. And so we've got to attract somebody from any place in the United States. Right. And we really have to base it on quality product, you know, the flavor profiles. That's where I, you know, I always have folks try the milk because that's where it starts. And if we have good quality milk, that carries over into the product. And that's, right. again, we get back to our staff, you know, making that product and then how is it handled. Right. Uh, all of those things play into that great big picture. And yeah. the freshness of the milk that we use, um, we're always watching that, that we're, we're getting milk into the plant and getting it utilized as quickly as we can uh, so that we've got that great tasting product. I mean, we can think back to years ago with our family when we traveled and we had some products that you literally didn't want to eat. <laughs> well, I it's interesting as you talk through this right like not only like we talk about the labor part of this because you've got so many different functions here but yeah on a marketing angle too you're doing everything from national marketing of food product all across uh, the country and all the way to you are literally running a retail store uh, in Malone Wisconsin and you've got to think about how you're appealing to all these different aspects of your business and that's it's very interesting you have a great canvas here in terms of your physical facility I, I can't compliment it enough it's a great place it looks beautiful and everything from be able to like you said have a picnic outside see the goats uh have activities let the kids run around and strong i mean we're what like 20 minutes uh, outside fond du lac here right on the shores of lake winnebago great part of the state to drive to uh we so i encourage all our wisconsin listeners to to come here for a day and enjoy it we've got listeners all across well the country we have a big following in anchorage alaska strangely enough um and if you're listening to me, Anchorage, we recommend you come here too. Um, it's just a little bit farther drive. So, it's one of the things I always think of in terms of our marketing. If you think goat, you should be thinking Leclerc, because yeah. that's our whole premise here is the total education. You know, obviously, right. of the uh, the food products where your food is coming from, and then this, our focus is the goat. Before we close out here, I want to ask, what makes you excited about the future of your business and the future of your industry? I would like hearing each of your take on that. I guess I'll start, and for me, it's family. Okay. Um, I think with all the things that we offer, obviously our cheese is number one in everything we do. Right. But it's just, you know, all the new things that we've added, you know, the the, the goat tower, our greenhouse, the baby, uh, you know, animal experience. And it's so great when you can bring your kids in and they're not on their phones and they get to interact uh, with the animals and right. they get to have great cheese and they get to have lunch um, to me it's just like seeing that that family um, experience is what I am most grateful for working here that's great yeah from my aspect I work now with a lot with the raw milk supply so I'm out with farmers every week um, just talking to them um, encouraging how we can do um, the milk properly okay. as far as humane treatment animals and all of that and everybody is so focused on the quality um, it wasn't that way years ago with a lot of these producers I mean they're <laughs> I've had numerous of them just comment like 
we saw our field man once a year, maybe twice, mm-hmm. whereas I'm out there weekly meeting with the farmers. Um, so they're not used to that, and I think that's part of what we do is just being interactive from all the way from that goat getting milked on the farm to selling the cheese out to a store any place in the United States. It's important right. to us that we do it right in every single phase. And I guess I look at it as passion. Uh, I'm very passionate about the industry. Uh, when I do a tour, that's usually, um, I'm hoping the people that are on that tour catch that passion, that yeah. they can see that, and that there's an excitement there. Right. It started as a family business on my kitchen table. Right. And then from that, it has grown into a much larger family right. uh, that we are able to incorporate. And, and you know, you consider everybody here as your family. Right. And then, needless to say, it reaches out to all the folks that supply. And so, you know, when you think about the business uh, and where its potential is, it's phenomenal because you know, one, you're going to produce that quality product. And you know, we we talked about primarily the cheese and the meat today. But if you look at what else can I do with the goat? You know, you look at uh, our uh, soaps and our lotions that we're using the milk in. Uh, we looked at the caramels that we have. And then you know, we were talking about ice cream, and we're talking about um, the, the mac and cheese products and the cheddar on the popcorn. Right. Uh, you know, what else can we look into? What about goat milk chocolate? What about, you know, is there, you know, we've had yogurt here in the past, you know, is that a direction that we want to look at again? Right. Uh, goat butter. I mean, and then you, you talk about the hides. Uh, you know, is that a direction that, um, you know, not necessarily us, but, you know, that you can tie into and bring back, you know. Right. So that total goat right. uh, experience. And then, uh, you know, as we grow here, as our facility grows, as we uh, bring in more activities for families and the likes what are some of the additional family activities hands-on because that's what we see that people are coming here uh they're not coming here because they want to buy a piece of cheese they're coming here for an experience Experience, right and so you get the uh you know what additional hands-on family experiences you know i've already uh jesse um i usually throw out about 120 ideas at her and then she goes okay let's let's start sifting through this uh, you know the next next uh idea that i really have and it's not rocket science or anything is a day on the farm yeah. and uh basically you know the the children will come in uh you know and that we're going to you know here's your lesson for the day so to speak again you know getting them back you know learning about that uh the hands-on and then uh, if you think about couples coming here families or uh, individuals you know the cheese experience the cheese boards and and pairing that with the wines and so you can sit on our patio and we have beautiful flower gardens uh, and that's one of the things that we're known for is the the our outside and environment uh, right and that's usually one of the first things people when they get out of their cars the wives at least <laughs> dash off and look at all of my flowers <laughs> and the husbands are like okay okay we'll just keep her happy so we can get inside you know, kind of thing but, but you know that that total just the passion for the industry and this is the place to come when you're looking at goats yeah and cheese and well, your passion definitely comes across from talking to you all to just seeing the growth in the business to just seeing how uh, just how great the place looks and what a great place it is to physically come to, let alone to consume the product. And we will be buying some on the way out the door. So, and we will share this with others. And I fully encourage our listeners in the Right Idea podcast to come here to make a trip to Malone and, and drop by. And especially when you're looking for stuff to do outside, great combination of both outside and inside stuff to do here. So. We appreciate it. Uh, Larry, Clara, Jesse, thanks so much for having us. 
I'm Kevin Nicholson. Thank you for joining us today on the Right Idea Podcast. Make sure to subscribe to the Right Idea Podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, Ricochet, Stitcher, Luminary, or wherever you listen to podcasts.